here's the staggering number, and I think our audience is not going to believe this. The total amount of fraud reported from pet scams in 2022 was $1.3 million. Introducing the Protectors. Inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI. Leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. Welcome to today's podcast. I have Mark Solomon, our International President, with us. How you doing, Mark? Mike, I'm doing great. You know, it's actually nice and sunny in Connecticut, but I think it's going to be raining cats and dogs before this episode is over. So we'll have to see if if I'm right or not. I think I know which direction you're going on this. But hey, Mark, this is a little unusual. We have a subject matter expert to talk about puppy fraud, you know, where people think they're buying a puppy online and uh, they get taken. Plus, we have potentially two guests to talk about it that were victimized, right? Yeah, we have uh, two brave uh, victims that are coming forward to share their story with us, talk with the subject matter expert. And Mike, let's not rule out kittens, too, because you know what? I have three cats at home, so it's puppies, it's kittens. I'm, I'm sure it's even other animals out there. So, so Mark, why don't you go ahead and introduce our uh, subject matter expert? All right. So our next guest is a member of the Iowa Bar and was a director of the Federal Trade Commission for 32 years. He was an attorney in the Bureau of Consumer Protection, as well as an advisor to the chairman. He served on the board of directors for the Better Business Bureau and is the recipient of numerous awards, including the top honor that the Federal Trade Commission offers, the Chairman Award. And he was also the Better Business Bureau Torchbearers Award winner. He's a founder of the Toronto Strategic Partnership, which works with international partners fighting fraud across the borders. To date, he has written 16 in-depth reports on consumer fraud issues and has been featured on many network news programs. He's also the author of the weekly international Baker Fraud Report. Please welcome to the show, Stephen Baker. Good to be with you guys. All right, Steve, glad to have you on the show. You know, Mark, I've known Steve for a long time. He was the head of the Federal Trade Commission here in the Midwest in Chicago with the uh, Better Business Bureau for several years, and uh, Steve is a great guy. He was our go-to guy. If we learned of a scam or a fraud, we want to know more about it, we would call Steve, and he's always available. So thank you, Steve, for coming on today. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, Steve, I appreciate your your long service in the field of fraud. You know, first, uh, Federal Trade Commission and Better Business Bureau, those are two incredible organizations that really are about collecting data, advising the public of scams and frauds that are going on. So we're excited. I know you're retired, recently retired, but we're glad you're here with us today. What we want to talk about today is a a very um, pretty horrible scam. So many Americans, so many people around the world love pets. They love animals, whether it's cats, dogs, or other animals. And there's an emotional attachment. Uh, You know, I I was raised with a dog and, you know, two or three cats, you know, currently. These are like part of your family. So can you tell us, uh, tell our audience a little bit about pet scams and how they're perpetrated uh, on victims? Sure. Well, this is uh, an incredibly common scam. I wish I could tell you it's rare, but it is not. And it's very basically and in some ways it's very simple. So you've got 
scammers who know that when people are looking for a pet, probably the first thing they do is just do an Internet search. And so they find a picture of this cute puppy in a description, and the price is often right, and they can get the breed they want. And so then they go ahead and communicate, often by text message, with the supposed owner of the dog and work out a price. And people say, okay, I want, I want to get it. And so typically there's a charge for the, for the pet itself. But then after they order it, then the scammers come back with, gee, we need more money for air transportation to bring the pet to you or we have to have a special shots that you say I claim that the pets needed COVID vaccines, for example. And if you send that money, then they need more money, there's a special crate, or then, you know, the dog is lost somewhere at an airport and they've got to pay food and shelter. So they just keep adding on charges and collecting more money for people. There is no pet. These pets do not exist. Um, and people lose, you know, hundreds, often thousands of dollars, and they're very frustrated. And, of course, there's the emotional part, too, because people have looked at the pet, they've looked at the photos, they've thought about how this would fit in with their families. And, you know, I've talked to pet owners who are getting them for their children, and kids are in tears because there is no, it just doesn't exist. So that's the essential of the fraud. And it is so common, I just don't think you can do an Internet search for a pet and not come across a scam. I was working with a reporter one time, and the very first picture we pulled up of a Yorkie puppy, I did an image search, and the same photo had been used supposedly for sale in six different countries and several different languages over a several-year period. So this is, if you're shopping online for a pet, you're going to come across this. Steve, before we get to our victims of the scam who are our guests today, when you say send the money, what is the most popular way that a victim sends money to these fraudsters? Well, originally it was Western Union and a MoneyGram. As you know, we did some work on them, and a couple of these scammers actually got caught that way. Um, now they've changed it to gift cards or Bitcoin, You know, as you, you guys surely know. Um, even my local gas station's got a Bitcoin ATM where you just put in money and scan a QR code the scammer sends you, and then your money is gone. Who the hell knows where? The bank payment apps like Zelle, they like those a lot. That's been a very popular way. I mean, never checks. There, Apparently they are now. Um, we used to say that they would not do credit cards, but there are apparently some of them have found a way to do that now. So Bitcoin, as you know, Anybody that wants you to pay with Bitcoin, gift cards, or Zelle is probably a scammer. Yeah. And Steve, I'm glad you brought up that point, the payment methods and how it's evolved. And what I'd like to do now is, if you're good with it, uh, Steve, I'd like to bring in one of our guests who was a victim. Uh, Her name is Trudy. She's from Connecticut. 
Trudy, welcome to the podcast. And Mike and I are so uh, happy that you're coming on and sharing your story with us. And, you know, before we get into it, I just want to let our audience know is that, you know, sometimes people think that people uh, fall for scams or become victims, you know, because maybe they're just not on top of things. And, you know, I could tell you, I know Trudy personally, and boy, she is an awesome person, smart and intelligent. The reason I bring that out is because these frauds are so good at what they do. They do it for a living. They do. It's a full-time job. And like I said, they are so convincing, you know. So, Trudy, uh, welcome to the show. Can you tell our audience how this started for you? Sure. Um, I just want to say, Mike, Mark, and Steve, too, listening to you, it's just like you were sitting next to me through my whole scam. But thank you for having me on because, as I've told Mark, if my story can help save one person, I will scream it from the rooftops. Absolutely. Um, you got to just keep telling people about it. So, you know, again, the purse strings, we lost our dog after 10 and a half years and started looking for a new dog and tried to find a rescue, uh, but my boys were allergic. So to Steve's point, we went online and, you know, I thought I was doing some due diligence. I got into a private Facebook group. Um, the administrator was like, you know, there's lots of scams out there. So if you find somebody that you want to do an adoption with, you know, let me know, make sure that I have all of their personal information on file. You know, looking back, I don't know why I trusted her. I didn't know her. But I posted a, you know, a note online that said I was looking for a labradoodle. And a day later, the fraudster contacted me, you know, had a couple options, boys or girls. And I mean, it all went pretty quick from there. It was probably three or four days before, to Steve's point, you know, asked a lot of inquiring questions. Well, let me ask you, um, Trudy, did they send you a picture of the dog? Oh, yeah. I mean, they sent us, when I said I wanted a boy, they sent us um, two, three photos so that I could show my kids and we could decide which dog we wanted. And then, you know, as it went on, it kept getting a couple new photos mm. of this cute little puppy dog that I'm sure is having a healthy life, like five-year-old in Alaska. But Yeah. And Trudy, I'm sure when you guys were searching for this as a family, you probably shared the photos, uh, you know, with the rest of your family. They must have been so excited. And oh, if- yeah. Yeah, I I could just feel the excitement, you know, being a pet owner myself, like I said, I remember when we got kittens and looking around and like I said, you get so emotionally attached to this process and, 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 you know, it's like a family member. 100%. Uh, Trudy, before we continue with your story, we'd like to bring on to the show uh, Angela from Philly. Angela, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. Angela, we really appreciate you coming on to our show today. Absolutely. We know you have a story, too, where you were a victim of, a, I would say, a puppy scam. Is that correct? Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, how you got involved in this, how, how you end up being caught up in this scam? We had a Bichon dog for 12 years, and I had lost it. Right at the same time, I lost my grandmother, and I had a daughter go off to college. So it was pretty traumatic for us and grief is different for everybody and grief for me was getting another dog right 
and it was a specific dog that we were looking for is a Bichon because they're hypoallergenic and just that breed is just super nice. And we had such, you know, good luck health wise and everything else with the dog. And so I had Googled Bichon puppy and there was a couple sites that came up and this site was the best one. It had the best website and it was very professionally done. Mm-hmm. And it had different, like, categories that you could look and pick from and information that was on there about their, like, where they came from. It was in California. And the payment fees and the shots and the immunizations. And there were pictures. It was a litter of, like, I want to say eight of them. And they all had names, boys and girls. And they were beautiful, professionally photo pictures of these dogs with names. And so I brought that to my family and I was like, you know, which one do we like? And our dog's name was Bruce. So of course, you know, this had gone on for a couple of days back and forth asking questions. Not only did I email the person, I physically talked to them on the telephone. So I felt a little bit more comfortable as this was going on because yes, I, I am aware of fraud, but also knowing that I was getting this type of dog there are people that, yes, they do get them and they are sent on planes or whatnot. So I was like, okay, this is a little odd, but I'm going to go with it. My gut said at the time, all right. And the price um, to have it being shipped over was half. It was eight fifty. So they were asking for Zelle. I don't have Zelle. So I was like, is there another way? So we did it through Venmo. And it wasn't, apparently it was um, Venmo that was through my daughter, not myself. And we even looked up like the Venmo account, the name that came under and like the transaction. And we saw other puppy transactions. So we're like, all right, this must be legit because we see other transaction of puppies. Right. And Angela, this is very, you know, I want to break over to Steve real quick. Steve, here's two incidents. One was on a social media channel where uh, the victim, you know, engaged to put it out there that she was looking for a puppy, Trudy. And then Angela, where she did her own search and came across a website. Are these common patterns that you see? And it sounded from Angela like they put a lot of effort into this website uh, to make it look professional. No, these folks are very professional. They spend a lot of money to develop these websites. There are people that develop them for them. They advertise all sorts of ways. They do a lot of social media stuff. In fact, I saw a animal rescue group in New York just a couple of days ago that had some of these scammers take over their Facebook page and lock them out. So certainly on social media, when I was doing my study on this for the Better Business Bureau, I actually talked to a breeder of uh, French Bulldogs in Florida, and they had copied her entire website, including stuff like her family history and history with the dogs, and it put their own contact information in it. So any place you might look online for a puppy, Facebook Marketplace, anything like that, Facebook, Google, I mean, these guys are already there, and like I said, it's hard to avoid these frauds. So they'll they'll actually uh, hijack somebody's legitimate website. Uh, they'll go that far to deploy this scam. You bet, absolutely. Wow. 
Trudy, this is Mike. Let me ask you, what led up to the point where money was requested for the puppy? How did, how did that come about, and how did you send the, the money? Sure. Um, after like a day or two when we decided which puppy we wanted, you know, I asked, similar to Angela, I asked for, you know, the name and where they were located. I got the address. And there was no red flags because they just asked for like $100 for putting a deposit down. So I wasn't, I didn't think like, okay, you know, they weren't asking for the whole amount or 50%. And it was either Zelle or Cash App. Um, You know, I have Venmo, but they didn't want to use Venmo to Steve's point earlier. And so I did do Zelle, at which point then I got, you know, a cell phone and another name. Hey, Mark, we talk about, you know, P2P payments, Zelle, Venmo, Cash App. Once you send that money, right, you can't get it back. It's gone. Yeah, you know, we call it a push transaction. So, you know, if the originator of the payment sends it, there's really no recourse. And a lot, even with financial institutions, if you were to pay a traditional method, you know, they're going to say that you, you know, willingly sent this money to a fraudster. So, you know, uh, the bank or the financial institution is not going to make, you know, usually not make you whole. So you're going to be out the money versus uh, somebody who's identity theft victim or their account was hacked and stuff like that. So, um, Angela, I had a question for you. And, you know, I know Trudy's situation and the fraudster said that the breeder was right in the same state as her. Um, your situation, it sounded like the dog was coming from California. Did you agree to a particular dollar amount? And after that, what else followed? Uh, was there more times that they tried to get more money out of you? Okay. Um, on their website, there was specific money amount. If you were getting a dog and you were out of state and it had to be put on flight. So originally it was eight fifty, And then again, when it was the time to fly, it was going to be another eight fifty. So pricing dogs out, I was like, oh, that's not that bad because I looked into the history of these dogs, then they could be a couple thousand dollars. So the time I knew something was going on, they had called me the day that the dog was supposed to be arriving. It was like that morning, the dog was supposed to fly out at two o'clock. And they said, oh, we need more money, more than the 850 was going to be like almost like a couple thousand, like 2000 to put it in a correct crate because it wasn't allowed to be shipped in the crate. It came in, it had to be like um, a temperature related thing because it was a young puppy. And something about that just, I was like, in my head, I was like, wait, you're a breeder wouldn't you have told the person who was buying this dog about this special crate? And I started to panic and my like heart dropped to my stomach. Cause at that point I was like, Oh my God, am I being scammed? Right. But I was still going with it because I was like, all right, thankfully, thank God I was at work and I was working with people who all love animals and asking their opinions and, we were all Googling what this crate is and what airline, like, is. we caught an airline to see if that was, like, proper. And all the questions that we were Googling, and it wasn't, wasn't correct. Right. Yeah, it just wasn't adding and up. And it wasn't adding up. Mm. And I was like, 
I'm still talking to him and he's getting more frustrated with me as I'm asking more questions about the flight. What's the flight? And he was flying out of Denver, Colorado. We had actually called the airport at Denver, Colorado and looked them if there was a dog being flown on an airplane. And they said no. And I'm still texting him, trying to toy with him because I was like, oh, I had known that I was taken at that point. And at some point I said, I want my money back. But let me ask Steve. There's two things Steve brought up earlier. Steve, you talked about um, continuation to get more money, you know, the cage or something with the transport. They request more money. And the other thing I was going to ask you, Steve, you mentioned before, too, the money transfers through... uh, wires or uh, gift cards, but now we're seeing uh, the P2P with Venmo, Zelle. Is that what's popular right now? Oh, it absolutely is. And uh, one point is interesting to what she just said about the airlines. In fact, these guys made a fake web page copying American Airlines pet transportation site, and American Airlines sued because they were pretending to be American Airlines. So that's how good some of these folks are. Um, and everybody, all the airlines, and there actually is a national association of people that actually legitimately transport pets. And they said they get probably eight or ten calls a day from people just like your other caller here, Trudy, I believe, who said that they see it a lot. They hear a lot from victims. And Trudy, I want to ask you, um, your dollar amount was lower. They, you know, they started very small where uh, with Angela, it was a little steeper price, and I, I obviously justified that because the dog was had to be flown to a different part of the country. But can you tell us about the progression of the additional requests for money and how that went in your case? Yeah, sure. Um, so after, you know, after I put the deposit down, um, the fraudster came back the next day and told me about how her daughter, you know, sympathy here, her daughter was in the hospital, needed surgery, and so she was, you know, a little busy, and could I just use Zelle to pay the vet the $200 that would be deducted off of my total bill so that they could do the paperwork to put the dog in our name? So, you know, I hadn't done this in 11 years, so I wasn't familiar if that was, you know, what would happen. I knew I would get paperwork when I picked up the dog. So she gave me the vet's name and email address. And at that point, I started asking questions because there were two different names for what the vet's name was and what the email was. And so she quickly said, you know what, just sell me the money and I'll get it to the vet. And then the next, you know, of course, I, I did that thinking there was okay. Um, And then a couple days later, we weren't picking the dog up for like 12 more days because he had to be a certain age. And she came to me and told me that she used all of her money on her daughter's surgery and there was no food to feed the dog for the next 12 days. So I needed to sell more money to cover for the dog food, you know, and I offered to just come and pick up the dog or Amazon dog food directly to her. But then, similar to Angela, it just started getting angry and I started getting a little suspicious. But of course, I did do some of the money for the dog food because there was 1% of me that thought, oh my gosh, if there's a hungry puppy dog, because they sent photos of dog lying there. One of the things that they 
often do if people refuse to keep sending money. They claim the animal is stranded in an airport somewhere, and they're going to report the victim to the police for animal abuse for refusing to pay for food and threaten to have people arrested, believe it or not. Steve, what about the sympathy there where, you know, they're, they're putting it on to the, the victim that, you know, if you don't send me more money, the dog might starve or my child might end up in the hospital, be staying in the hospital. They throw that out there, too, don't they? Sure, they'll do, they'll do anything. They've got uh, all sorts of excuses for any people think, you know, that you can trip up scammers by talking to them on the phone. As Mike related earlier, I mean, these guys are professionals. Any question you might think to ask them, they already have thought of an answer to. And they're good. This is what they do for a living. These are professionals. So, so you can't, it's really almost impossible to figure out if they're lying to you on the phone because they're that good. Mm-hmm. So, in Angela, in, in your case, you, you spoke to somebody on the phone. And where we left off, you know, it was the last second additional cost to get the proper cage. Um, when was it that you realized, you know, this was a fraud, that somebody had targeted you? I would say um, it was very professional talk up until a certain point, and emails were very professionally text. And then the angriness of that person through text started to come through, and words were spelled incorrectly, and it was just like bad English. Mm-hmm. And that's what keyed me off was this person wasn't the same person that I had been dealing with earlier. It was, there was something else going on. And that's what keyed me off is more of the, um, the language that was being used and the angriness from the person. Mm. Did you tell him he, you felt he was a scammer and did the conversation just stop or how did, how did it end? I did say that. He said, do you trust me 100%? I said, no, I think you're a scammer. And he kept wanting me to trust him. And I said, no, I don't trust you. But I kept going back and forth. Then I was kind of playing game with him because I was like, hmm, what can I get out of him for him to tell me more? Nice. At that point, I was just angry because I knew. So I was kind of messing back with him. He did keep saying that he was going to put me in jail if I didn't give him money because his dog was going to be left at the airport unattended and it was all going to come back on me. So he was trying to scare me, even though I didn't believe him. Just like Steve just said. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah exactly like you just said. I'm curious, what, what were you saying back to him to uh, try and irritate him? Just curious. I was saying, give me the airline. Give me the name of the people that you're using, what is the crate called? And he couldn't answer any of it. He couldn't answer me directly with anything. And I was irritating him by doing that because he was like, you're asking me a million questions. Refer back to the email, refer back to the, the, uh, the post. And there was no referring back to any of this, these little minor details that were happening at the airport. Interesting. Trudy, I want to go to you. You actually did something which I thought was great. You had an address, a pickup location, right, for uh, this dog. And after they, you know, said they couldn't feed the dog, hitting you up for, for more money on that, you actually called uh, the animal control division in that town to go and check on, on these animals because you were concerned that the, the owner was not feeding them. Is that correct? Yeah, I just, I mean, at that point, I... 
you know, I was 99% sure it was a fraud scam, but there was that 1% of me that was like, they showed me a couple photos of puppies and she doesn't have food. So I did. I called the animal control in that town and said, you know, I explained the whole story and she was also um, a police officer in the town. And she was like, I agree. I probably think you've been scammed, but I'm going to go do a little research. Um, This house is kind of right on the border. So she's like, let me do a drive by and do a safety check to make sure there are no puppies there. So, yeah. And she was very nice. She called me back and and she was the one that confirmed, yes, you've been scammed, Mm. that there were no puppies at the house. Wow. Hey, Steve, let me ask you, who's behind all these scams, especially these puppy scams? Is, is Are these people in the States or, you know, you hear that a lot of these fraudsters are overseas. Who are these players? Well, the specialists in this, this particular kind of fraud are from Cameroon, which is in Africa. It shares the border with Nigeria. And so the a lot of the people that are putting up the websites and, and taking the initial calls are Cameroonians. And then there's a large colony of Cameroonians in the United States, a lot of whom came here on student visas and just stayed. And we know that there are cells of these people around the United States, D.C. area, and around Minneapolis particularly, where they live. And those people are runners. They pick up the money and handle the money and went in and get a cut. But they're not easy to find. I think everybody that I know of that's been prosecuted on this, and it's only like a half dozen people, but they've all been from Cameroon. Um, They're not only selling non-existent puppies, as you mentioned, but they're also selling non-existent horses, non-existent kittens, um, and there's a lot of them that sell non-existent guns or ammunition um, or, or, or prescription drugs. And again, the stuff doesn't exist, so you pay for it. But they've they've branched out into other things too. But but the main one I think is is the pets. And like I said, it's not, and as you guys alluded earlier, it's not just puppies. Although that's the majority of of what they're what we get the complaints about. Yeah, and I'm sure there's probably even you know fraudsters out there doing exotic animals, uh, you know, as well, thinking somebody could get an animal that you know may may not be allowed and stuff like that and probably can get a pretty hefty amount for people that are willing to try and make a purchase for an exotic animal. Well, you're exactly right. Exotic birds, lizards, that's in, in this sometimes too. Since you don't have to have the stuff, and you, it's only your imagination is what you're going to be trying to sell. Steve, you, you mentioned exotic animals, and I go back to my law enforcement days when I was a young detective, and uh, we had a report of a, a person that actually uh, was keeping a, a full-size alligator in their residence, and uh, the subject wound up sneaking it out of the house before law enforcement arrived and never found that one. But uh, we were looking uh, around, and somebody told us, hey, I know a person has an alligator, a totally different person. And we went over to the house, and these are banned. You cannot have them as pets in the state of Connecticut. And sure enough, you know, we get to the residence, and he's got, you know, it was a smaller alligator, but, you know, I felt like pet detective, uh, you know, for a couple of hours. But, you know, the thing was actually not very healthy. Um, it was crammed into a very uh, small uh, glass, uh, you know, fishing tank, I would say. 
So, like I said, I felt bad for the animal, and, you know, this thing suffered, and somebody was trying to keep it as a pet, you know? So it's just... I never thought I'd be uh, capturing alligators as a cop, but it was uh, What it was, was the alligator's name? Uh, Croc. I don't know. Croc. <laughs> so, oh I don't know. <laughs> so... Hey, I want to bring a, a point up to you uh, guys, and Trudy and Angela both. Can you tell us uh, what your individual losses were, the total for each incident? Sure, I can go first. This is Trudy. So my total loss was $450. Okay. And Angela? Um, my total loss was 850 Let me ask you, Trudy, did you, uh, when you determined that you know it was a scam and all that, did you go to local authorities or did you make a report with any organizations such as Federal Trade Commission or anything like that? I ended up not. I contacted okay. my um, bank and I think Steve or I think maybe Mark mentioned earlier that, you know, because I had authorized the transactions, they considered it a scam and not a fraud. So I was liable. I tried to cancel them. It didn't work. But I didn't because... When I was talking to them, I could also sort of tell English was not the first language and kind of talking to friends, other folks, you know, they were telling me the um, the police officer that I did speak to was like, they're probably not in the United States. So I ended up not filing anything. Trudy, how about you? Did you? Yes. On my way home from work that day, I did go to the state police and I did file a complaint. Um, they took all the information down, the Venmo account. I even, I had the person's name and the Venmo account and emails. I had, I had kept track of all the conversations because it was on my phone. It was through texting and email. Uh, I did that. And I also contacted Venmo itself and had told them, and I really didn't get received much help from either source. So I myself am still trying to figure it out, um, see if maybe he'll make a mistake and I can get through his email. I don't know. I just, I'm kind of at a loss. Mm. Well, guys, I was very interested in dollar amounts that you brought up because when we were researching this show, we actually reached out to Steve early on to get some statistics of how significant this problem is. And thanks to Steve and the Better Business Bureau, uh, I'm looking at statistics right here. The average loss in 2022 was $850 per victim. So that's right at the the exact dollar amount Angela uh, had stolen from her. But here's the staggering number, and I think our audience is not going to believe this, but the total amount of fraud uh, reported from pet scams in 2022 was $1.3 million. So think how many victims that is. If the average loss per person is $850 and the overall losses was $1.3 million, and that's only for actually January to September of 2022. So I bet you these losses are 1.5 or 1.7 million dollars. So that's a yeah, huge amount of money. It is, and we've got the FTC has looked into statistics, and they figure that uh, only like five percent of victims ever complain to law enforcement or a Better Business Bureau, which means 95 percent don't. So you really got to multiply right. those loss numbers, and the huge collectively. And Steve, you bring up a good point. Even if you don't report it to law enforcement. You could still make a report with the Better Business Bureau because, you know, listen, they, they might change their names or their websites or whatever, but 
But getting that information out to Better Business Bureau quickly, they might be able to prevent somebody that goes onto the Better Business website, looks up that company name or that breeder or that seller and sees there's a complaint. So um, you may not report it to law enforcement, but you know, Better Business Bureau, Federal Trade Commission, those are, are some good options as well. Yeah, another good option, there's a uh, private group that does a website called PetScams.com, and they're really good. They try to get websites shut down. You can search their website for different company names these folks use to see if they've run across them in the past. And so they're, they're a really useful group in, in this type of fraud. Really good. I got to ask you too, from a law enforcement perspective, and some of our listeners might be thinking, you know, follow the money. If you send a Zelle or a Venmo payment, it's got to go to another account, right? Somebody's got to have that other account on the other end. But a lot of these fraudsters have that account in a, a victim of, or another victim of identity theft, or that account might be outside the United States, right? Where you can't track that down, but. You know, that's the problem, trying to follow the money because it might lead to an account that's in somebody else's name or it's outside the country. Yeah, and I, you know, I I can tell you, Mike, too, and you know it, is that, uh, you know, because they're hitting at smaller dollar amounts, but more victims, multiple victims, that, you know, it's tough for law enforcement to be able to dedicate time to every single fraud case that's going on. And, you know, it got so bad. I'm in, I I worked in a town that was very affluent. We didn't have a lot of violent crimes. But you got so many of these complaints that you just get overwhelmed. There's no way to investigate them all. So they start prioritizing cases where there might be some solvability factors or there were large dollar amounts. But like I said, you just can't investigate every single one. And I know know, law enforcement would like to, but, you know, there's just so much fraud going on that you you can't handle it all. So, Well, I was going to ask Steve for some advice on how to protect yourself from being a victim of this type of pet scam. But let me ask uh, first uh, Trudy and Angela, what do you recommend to our listeners so that they don't get caught up in a scam like this? Um. This is Angela. I would personally recommend, this is what I was told after the fact, if you purchase a dog or cat or any animal, make sure you physically touch it, feel it, hold it before you give them any money. Very good. I will never again go through online or um, out of state. It has to be in my state where I can go and see this dog. Trudy, how about you? Sure, this is Trudy. So, You know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I sort of told my story out on Facebook and then started getting friends sending me referrals to breeders that they use. So my lesson learned was, you know, ask friends for referral and information, Um, you know, people that you know and that you trust and maybe you've seen their dog. Um, And we ended up going back to the breeder, you know, we got our first dog from 11 years earlier so just do the homework. Like, don't trust complete strangers anymore. Different world we live in. Yeah. So, Trudy, um, I know you mentioned that, you know, you hadn't purchased a dog or looked into getting another dog for over 11 years, and it was when your um, current pet passed away that you started looking again. How much did that affect you? Because, you know, 
the first time you probably met the breeder, met the dog, but now everything is available online. Everything you could find that uh, you want to buy, you don't have to go to a store anymore. You know, you don't have to meet anymore. So did that play into you trusting somebody on an online uh, type transaction? Well, I, 11 years ago, we, we did it online also. Oh, you did? And, but okay. It, you know, there wasn't all the scam. Yeah. So we had we had found our first dog online also. So I didn't think anything of it, and I didn't really know how bad the fraud scams had gotten online in the 11-year time frame. Um, but it, it seemed totally natural for me because, you know, with the pandemic, everybody moved on doing things online, and I'd done it before online. So... I didn't have any hesitation. Well, Steve, you heard uh, Angela and uh, Trudy talk about, you know, giving recommendations not to get caught up in the scam. Uh, do you have anything to add, Steve, on that? Sure. There's a couple things. Absolutely. The, the thing to do is see the dog in person. Um, they're never going to want to let you visit them, and, but, and it might involve a plane flight, but if you're really interested in this dog, go see it in person. Now, during the pandemic... That was a perfect for them because they could use the pandemic as an excuse why you couldn't visit them. If you can't do it in person, there's a couple of things you can do. A lot of people don't realize you can do a reverse image search on a picture, but you can. Or if there's some interesting little phrase in the um, description, like Fluffy has got the brightest eyes and bounciest steps, run that through Google. Maybe you can find that too. And then another way is ask the person to hold the puppy and to do a Zoom call. Um, no crook is ever going to be able to do that. They might send you some video of, the, of a supposed puppy, but they, they will never do a, a Zoom call holding the puppy with them. And if they tell you that they can't for some reason, there's a very high probability that you're dealing with a fraud. I might also, I'm, I'm curious with Angela and Trudy also, whether they were able to ultimately get a puppy I know they were in the market for one with some other reasons with it. So were you guys able to get something? This is Trudy, yes. Um, about two months later, we did. We got an eight-week-old golden doodle. And Angela? Um, yes, we did get a puppy. I People had found out about my story, friends, and they hooked me up with a rescue called Tiny Paul. And... There was a Bichon puppy that was a rescue, and we have him, and he is six months old. So we are in love, and I physically, and, you know, I got to hold him and see him, which was the best. Yeah. You know, Mark, I got I to gotta ask you for the show notes. Maybe we could get a picture of both dogs and put them on the show notes. That would be great. So, um, ladies, I want to thank you, first of all, for coming on the show. Uh, this is something that everybody needs to hear. Uh, you guys are intelligent people, professionals that, like I said, were targeted. You know, you didn't fall victim to a scam. You were targeted by these fraudsters. You're turning the tables on them because now you're educating the public and teaching people, hopefully, how to not be victimized. So I really appreciate Angela and Trudy for coming on. There is a happy ending to your stories. You did find that pet and family member. Along the way, you learned some lessons and, and also shared that with the public. So we, we thank you. So this is Trudy, um, Mike and Mark and Steve, too. Thank you so much for letting me tell my story and having me on air and hopefully with, you know, the guidance that you all um, suggested and uh, hearing the story will save a couple of people from falling into the same scam.
Yes, Mike, Mark, and Steve, thank you very much. If this can help anybody, you know, the suffering and the pain from losing somebody you thought was going to be a family member, uh, may they not make the same mistakes. So, Steve, you know, you, you make a great point here is, is that people in the public, when they hear the stories of a true victim, it resonates and they listen and they, you know, learn from it. So I have to thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing your knowledge and subject matter expertise in this. I know that this podcast, this episode is going to affect and help many, many people out there that are thinking about buying a, a pet and might be targeted by a fraudster. Yeah, no, it's great to be on. I really appreciate it. And I, I do think your podcast, you guys are doing great stuff. People need to hear this. My wife is always asking me, how come I never hear about this stuff on TV? Because she's fascinated <laughs> by it. And, you know, so the more you guys get the word out, the more people learn about these things and the less effective the scammers are going to be. And we heard a little bit of the voices of your victims. I mean, the lose the money is bad, but a lot of people, it's the, the emotional distress that these frauds cause on people's families. I think you mentioned the people planning to add a valuable member to their family and not something they do lightly, and, and, and it's very emotional and especially, as you know, and then to find out you've been robbed, and which makes people unfortunately think, you know, well, there must be something wrong with me that I got scammed, not realizing that they're really dealing with professionals. So keep up the good work on your show. Hope you guys keep doing it, and I'm happy to be able to help. Awesome, Steve. And I, I wanted to thank you, too, because even though you're retired, you have the Baker Fraud Report. You put that out every week, again, to help people so they won't become victims of frauds and scams. So that is awesome. Plus, you know, being a subject matter expert, we might have to call on you again to come on one of our uh, future podcasts for your uh, thoughts. I would be happy to help. I mean, I've done like a lot of these studies and, and there's so much fraud. And I have always particularly been interested in how people get the money. Because you remember we did those cases against Western Union MoneyGram. And following the money and figuring out the money system is not easy to do. And that's why experts like you guys and the financial end of things are so important. Oh, finally, I should mention that the guy who runs PetScams.com, I told him I was doing this and who I was doing it with. He's like, oh, the AIFCI says, I'm really interested in getting involved with them and trying to do some stuff. And uh, so I think he was, he's, he's in Ireland, I believe. But, you know, he was, he's a big booster of your organization. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, we appreciate that. And uh, we'll definitely uh, take you up on uh, linking up with him as well. And like I said, the more we could come together and educate is the best. So, Steve, I know you're semi-retired, but you're still fighting the fraud fight. And we appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for coming on. And we will get you back on the show sometime soon if that works. Hey, Mark, can we put his uh, Baker Fraud Report on our show notes? Absolutely. We'll get the Baker Fraud Report on our show notes for our, our, our podcast subscribers and listeners. So uh, we'll get it on there. Hey, Steve, have a great week. God bless. And uh, we'll see you soon. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. 
Mike, what a great episode and, and something different for us. You know, we brought a subject matter expert in, but also two victims and let the public hear how it affected them financially and emotionally. I thought that was great. And you know what? We want to hear from our listeners. If you were targeted by a fraud or a scam, shoot us an email. It's IAFCI Protectors Podcast at gmail.com. And Mike, where can our listeners find us? Hey, for our listeners and tell your friends, you could hear us on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Stitcher, anywhere where you go to listen to your podcast, you'll find us. IFCI presents The Protectors. We hope you come on and join us and listen to our podcast. Thank you. All right, Mike. Well, signing off from Connecticut, I'm Mark Solomon. And this is Mike Carroll from Chicago. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.